This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan The Pilgrim's Progress From This World to That Which Is to Come Delivered Under the Similitude of a Dream By John Bunyan First Half of Part Two The Sixth Stage Now I saw that they went on to the ascent that was a little way off, cast up to be a prospect for pilgrims. This was the place from whence Christian had the first sight of Faithful his brother. Wherefore here they sat down and rested. They also here did eat and drink and make merry, for that they had gotten deliverance from this so dangerous an enemy. As they sat thus and did eat, Christiana asked the guide if he had caught no hurt in the battle. Then said Mr. Greatheart, No, save a little on my flesh. Yet that also shall be so far from being to my detriment, that it is at present a proof of my love to my master and you, and shall be a means by grace to increase my reward at last. Christiana but were you not afraid, good sir, when you saw him come with his club? Mr. Greatheart, it is my duty, said he, to mistrust mine own ability, that I may have reliance on him who is stronger than all. Christiana, but what did you think when he fetched you down to the ground at the first blow? Mr. Greatheart, why, I thought, quoth he, that so my master himself was served, and yet he it was that conquered at last. Second Corinthians four ten and eleven, Romans eight thirty seven. Matthew, when you all have thought what you please, I think God has been wonderfully good unto us, both in bringing us out of this valley, and in delivering us out of the hand of this enemy. For my part, I see no reason why we should distrust our God any more, since He has now and in such a place as this, given us such testimony of his love. Then they got up and went forward. Now a little before them stood an oak, and under it, when they came to it, they found an old pilgrim fast asleep. They knew that he was a pilgrim by his clothes and his staff and his girdle. So the guide, Mr. Greatheart, awaked him, and the old gentleman, as he lifted up his eyes, cried out, "'What's the matter? Who are you, and what is your business here?' Mr. Greatheart, "'Come, man, be not so hot. Here are none but friends.' Yet the old man gets up, and stands upon his guard, and will know of them what they are. Then said the guide, "'My name is Greatheart. I am the guide of these pilgrims that are going to the celestial country.' Mr. Honest. Then said Mr. Honest, I cry you mercy. I feared that you had been of the company of those that some time ago did rob little Faith of his money. But now I look better about me. I perceive you are honester people. Mr. Greatheart. Why, what would or could you have done to have helped yourself if indeed we had been of that company? Mr. Honest. Done? Why, I would have fought as long as breath had been in me. And had I so done... I am sure you could never have given me the worst on't, 
for a Christian can never be overcome, unless he shall yield of himself. Mr. Greatheart, Well said, Father Honest, quoth the guide, for by this I know thou art a cock of the right kind, for thou hast said the truth. Mr. Honest, And by this also I know that thou knowest what true pilgrimage is, for all others do think that we are the soonest overcome of any. Mr. Greatheart, Well, now we are so happily met, pray let me crave your name, and the name of the place you came from. Mr. Honest, My name I cannot tell you, but I came from the town of stupidity. It lieth about four degrees beyond the city of destruction. Mr. Greatheart, Oh, are you that countryman? Then I deem I have half a guess of you. Your name is Old Honesty, is it not? Mr. Honest. So the old gentleman blushed and said, Not honesty in the abstract, but honest is my name, and I wish that my nature may agree to what I am called. But, sir, said the old gentleman, how could you guess that I am such a man, since I came from such a place? Mr. Greatheart, I had heard of you before by my master, for he knows all things that are done on the earth. But I have often wondered that any should come from your place, for your town is worse than is the city of destruction itself. Mr. Honest, yes, we lie more off from the sun, and so are more cold and senseless. But were a man in a mountain of ice, yet if the sun of righteousness will arise upon him, his frozen heart shall feel a thaw, and thus it has been with me. Mr. Greatheart, I believe it, Father Honest, I believe it, for I know the thing is true. Then the old gentleman saluted all the pilgrims with a holy kiss of charity, and asked them their names, and how they had fared since they set out on their pilgrimage. Christiana. Then said Christiana, My name I suppose you have heard of. Good Christian was my husband, and these four are his children. But can you think how the old gentleman was taken when she told him who she was? He skipped, he smiled, he blessed them with a thousand good wishes, saying, Mr. Honest, I have heard much of your husband, and of his travels and wars which he underwent in his days. Be it spoken to your comfort, the name of your husband rings all over these parts of the world. His faith, his courage, his enduring, and his sincerity under all had made his name famous. Then he turned him to the boys and asked them of their names, which they told him. Then said he unto them, Matthew, be thou like Matthew the publican, not in vice, but in virtue. Matthew 10.3 Samuel, said he, be thou like Samuel the prophet, a man of faith and prayer. Psalm ninety nine six. Joseph, said he, be thou like Joseph in Potiphar's house, chaste, and one that flees from temptation. Genesis 39. And James, be thou like James the just, and like James the brother of our Lord. Acts 1.13. Then they told him of mercy, and how she had left her town and her kindred to come along with Christiana and with her sons. At that the old honest man said, Mercy is thy name. By mercy shalt thou be sustained, 
and carried through all those difficulties that shall assault thee in thy way, till thou shalt come thither where thou shalt look the fountain of mercy in the face with comfort. All this while the guide, Mr. Greatheart, was very well pleased, and smiled upon his companions. Now as they walked along together, the guide asked the old gentleman if he did not know one Mr. Fearing that came on pilgrimage out of his parts. Mr. Honest, yes, very well, said he. He was a man that had the root of the matter in him, but he was one of the most troublesome pilgrims that ever I met with in all my days. Mr. Greatheart, I perceive you knew him, for you have given a very right character of him. Mr. Honest, knew him? I was a great companion of his. I was with him most an end. When he first began to think upon what would come upon us hereafter, I was with him. Mr. Greatheart, I was his guide from my master's house to the gates of the celestial city. Mr. Honest, then you knew him to be a troublesome one. Mr. Greatheart, I did so, but I could very well bear it, for men of my calling are oftentimes entrusted with the conduct of such as he was. Mr. Honest, well then, pray let us hear a little of him, and how he managed himself under your conduct. Mr. Greatheart, why, he was always afraid that he should come short of whither he had a desire to go. Everything frightened him that he heard anybody speak of, if it had but the least appearance of opposition in it. I heard that he lay roaring at the slow of despond for above a month together. Nor durst he, for all he saw several go over before him, venture, though they many of them offered to lend him their hands. He would not go back again neither. The celestial city, he said he should die if he came not to it and yet he was dejected at every difficulty, and stumbled at every straw that anybody cast in his way. Well, after he had lain at the slow of despond a great while, as I have told you, one sunshiny morning, I do not know how, he ventured and so got over. But when he was over, he would scarce believe it. He had, I think, a slow of despond in his mind, a slow that he carried everywhere with him, or else he could never have been as he was. So he came up to the gate, you know what I mean, that stands at the head of this way, and there also he stood a good while before he would venture to knock. When the gate was opened, he would give back and give place to others, and say that he was not worthy. For, all he got before some to the gate, yet many of them went in before him. There the poor man would stand shaking and shrinking, I dare say it would have pitied one's heart to have seen him. Nor would he go back again. At last he took the hammer that hanged on the gate, in his hand, and gave a small rap or two. Then one opened to him, but he shrunk back as before. He that opened stepped out after him, and said, Thou trembling one, what wantest thou? With that he fell down to the ground. He that spoke to him wondered to see him so faint. So he said to him, Peace be to thee. Up, for I have set open the door to thee. Come in, for thou art blessed. With that he got up, and went in trembling. 
and when he was in, he was ashamed to show his face. Well, after he had been entertained there a while, as you know how the manner is, he was bid go on his way, and also told the way he should take. So he went on till he came out to our house. But as he behaved himself at the gate, so he did at my master the interpreter's door. He lay there about in the cold a good while, before he would adventure to call. Yet he would not go back, and the nights were long and cold then. Nay, he had a note of necessity in his bosom to my master to receive him, and grant him the comfort of his house, and also to allow him a stout and valiant conductor, because he was himself so chicken-hearted a man. And yet for all that he was afraid to call at the door. So he lay up and down thereabouts, till, poor man, he was almost starved. Yea, so great was his dejection, that though he saw several others for knocking get in, yet he was afraid to venture. At last, I think, I looked out of the window, and perceiving a man to be up and down about the door, I went out to him and asked what he was. But, poor man, the water stood in his eyes. So I perceived what he wanted. I went, therefore, in, and told it in the house, and we showed the thing to our Lord. So he sent me out again to entreat him to come in. But I dare say I had hard work to do it. At last he came in, and I will say that for my lord, he carried it wonderful lovingly to him. There were but a few good bits at the table, but some of it was laid upon his trencher. Then he presented the note, and my lord looked thereon, and said his desire should be granted. So when he had been there a good while, he seemed to get some heart, and to be a little more comfortable. For my master, you must know, is one of very tender bowels, especially to them that are afraid. Wherefore he carried it so towards him, as might tend most to his encouragement. Well, when he had had a sight of the things of the place, and was ready to take his journey to go to the city, my lord, as he did to Christian before, gave him a bottle of spirits, and some comfortable things to eat. Thus we set forward, and I went before him, but the man was but of few words, only he would sigh aloud. When we were come to where the three fellows were hanged, he said that he doubted that that would be his end also. Only he seemed glad when he saw the cross and the sepulchre. There I confess he desired to stay a little to look, and he seemed for a while after to be a little cheery. When he came to the hill difficulty, he made no stick at that, nor did he much fear the lions, for you must know that his troubles were not about such things as these. His fear was about his acceptance at last. I got him in at the house beautiful, I think, before he was willing. Also when he was in, I brought him acquainted with the damsels of the place, but he was ashamed to make himself much in company. He desired much to be alone, Yet he always loved good talk, and often would get behind the screen to hear it. He also loved much to see ancient things, and to be pondering them in his mind. He told me afterward that he loved to be in those two houses from which he came last, to wit at the gate, and that of the interpreter, but that he does not be so bold as to ask. When we went also from the house beautiful down the hill, 
into the valley of humiliation. He went down as well as ever I saw a man in my life, for he cared not how mean he was, so he might be happy at last. Yea, I think there was a kind of sympathy betwixt that valley and him, for I never saw him better in all his pilgrimage than he was in that valley. Here he would lie down, embrace the ground, and kiss the very flowers that grew in this valley. Lamentations 3.27-29 He would now be up every morning by break of day, tracing and walking to and fro in the valley. But when he was come to the entrance of the valley of the shadow of death, I thought I should have lost my man, not for that he had any inclination to go back, that he always abhorred, but he was ready to die for fear. Oh, the hobgoblins will have me, the hobgoblins will have me, cried he, and I could not beat him out of it. He made such a noise, and such an outcry here, that had they but heard him, it was enough to encourage them to come and fall upon us. But this I took very great notice of, that this valley was as quiet as when we went through it, as ever I knew it before or since. I suppose those enemies here had now a special check from our Lord, and a command not to meddle until Mr. Fearing had passed over it. It would be too tedious to tell you of all. We will therefore only mention a passage or two more. When he was come to Vanity Fair, I thought he would have fought with all the men in the fair. I feared there we should have been both knocked on the head, so hot was he against their fooleries. Upon the enchanted ground he was very wakeful. But when he was come at the river where was no bridge, there again he was in a heavy case. Now, now, he said, he should be drowned for ever, and so never see that face with comfort that he had come so many miles to behold. And here also I took notice of what was very remarkable. The water of that river was lower at this time than ever I saw it in all my life. So he went over at last, not much above wetshod. When he was going up to the gate, I began to take leave of him, and to wish him a good reception above. So he said, I shall, I shall, then parted we asunder, and I saw him no more. Mr. Honest, then it seems he was well at last. Mr. Greatheart, Yes, yes, I never had doubt about him. He was a man of a choice spirit, only he was always kept very low, and that made his life so burdensome to himself, and so troublesome to others. Psalm 88 He was above many tender of sin. He was so afraid of doing injuries to others, that he often would deny himself of that which was lawful, because he would not offend. Romans 14.21 1 Corinthians 8.13 Mr. Honest But what should be the reason that such a good man should be all his days so much in the dark? Mr. Greatheart There are two sorts of reasons for it. One is, the wise God will have it so. Some must pipe and some must weep. Matthew 11.16 Now Mr. Fearing was one that played upon the bass. He and his fellows sound the sackbut, whose notes are more doleful than the notes of other music are, though indeed some say the bass is the ground of music. And for my part, 
I care not at all for that profession which begins not in heaviness of mind. The first string that the musician usually touches is the bass, when he intends to put all in tune. God also plays upon this string first, when he sets the soul in tune for himself. Only there was the imperfection of Mr. Fearing. He could play upon no other music, but this till towards his latter end. I make bold to talk thus metaphorically, for the ripening of the wits of young readers, and because in the book of Revelation, the saved are compared to a company of musicians, that play upon their trumpets and harps, and sing their songs before the throne. Revelations 5, 8, 14, 2 and 3. Mr. Honest. He was a very zealous man, as one may see by the relation you have given of him. Difficulties, lions, or vanity fair, he feared not at all. It was only sin, death, and hell that were to him a terror, because he had some doubts about his interest in that celestial country. Mr. Greatheart. You say right. Those were the things that were his troublers, and they, as you have well observed, arose from the weakness of his mind thereabout, not from weakness of spirit as to the practical part of a pilgrim's life. I dare believe that, as the proverb is, he could have bit a firebrand had it stood in his way. But the things with which he was oppressed, no man ever yet could shake off with ease. Christiana Then said Christiana, This relation of Mr. Fearing has done me good. I thought nobody had been like me, but I see there was some semblance betwixt this good man and me, only we differed in two things. His troubles were so great that they broke out, but mine I kept within. His also lay so hard upon him, they made him that he could not knock at the houses provided for entertainment. But my trouble was always such as made me knock the louder. Mercy if I might also speak my heart, I must say that something of him has also dwelt in me, for I have ever been more afraid of the lake, and the loss of a place in paradise, than I have been of the loss other things. Oh, thought I, may I have the happiness to have a habitation there. Tis enough, though I part with all the world to win it. Matthew. Then said Matthew, Fear was one thing that made me think that I was far from having that within me which accompanies salvation. But if it was so with such a good man as he, why may it not also go well with me? James. No fear is no grace, said James. Though there is not always grace where there is the fear of hell, yet to be sure there is no grace where there is no fear of God. Mr. Greatheart. Well said, James, thou hast hit the mark, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and to be sure they that want the beginning have neither middle nor end. But we will here conclude our discourse of Mr. Fearing, after we have sent after him this farewell. Well, Mr. Fearing, thou didst fear thy God, and wast afraid of doing anything while here, that would have thee betrayed. And didst thou fear the lake and pit? Would others do so too? For as for them that want thy wit, they do themselves undo. Now I saw that they still went on in their talk, 
for after Mr. Greatheart had made an end with Mr. Fearing, Mr. Honest began to tell them of another, but his name was Mr. Selfwell. He pretended himself to be a pilgrim, said Mr. Honest, but I persuade myself he never came in at the gate that stands at the head of the way. Mr. Greatheart, had you ever any talk with him about it? Mr. Honest, yes, more than once or twice, but he would always be like himself, self-willed. He neither cared for man nor argument, nor yet example. What his mind prompted him to, that he would do, and nothing else could he be got to do. Mr. Greatheart, pray what principles did he hold, for I suppose you can tell. Mr. Honest, he held that a man might follow the vices as well as the virtues of pilgrims, and that if he did both, he should be certainly saved. Mr. Greatheart, how, if he had said, it is possible for the best to be guilty of the vices, as well as to partake of the virtues of pilgrims, he could not much have been blamed. For indeed we are exempted from no vice absolutely, but on condition that we watch and strive. But this, I perceive, is not the thing. If I understand you right, your meaning is that he was of opinion that it was allowable so to be. Mr. Honest, ay, ay, so I mean, and so he believed and practised. Mr. Greatheart, but what grounds had he for his so saying? Mr. Honest, why, he said he had the scripture for his warrant. Mr. Greatheart, prithee, Mr. Honest, present us with a few particulars. Mr. Honest, so I will. He said to have to do with other men's wives had been practised by David, God's beloved, and therefore he could do it. He said to have more woman than one was a thing that Solomon practised, and therefore he could do it. He said that Sarah and the godly midwives of Egypt lied, and so did save Rahab, and therefore he could do it. He said that the disciples went at the bidding of their master, and took away the owner's ass, and therefore he could do so too. He said that Jacob got the inheritance of his father in a way of guile and dissimulation, and therefore he could do so too. Mr. Greatheart, high base indeed! And are you sure he was of this opinion? Mr. Honest, I heard him plead for it, bring scripture for it, bring arguments for it, etc. Mr. Greatheart, an opinion that is not fit to be with any allowance in the world. Mr. Honest, you must understand me rightly. He did not say that any man might do this, but that they who had the virtues of those that did such things might also do the same. Mr. Greatheart, but what more false than such a conclusion? For this is as much as to say, that because good men heretofore have sinned of infirmity, therefore he had allowance to do it of a presumptuous mind, or that if, because a child, by the blast of the wind, or for that it stumbled at a stone, fell down, and defiled itself in the mire, Therefore he might wilfully lie down, and wallow like a ball therein. Who could have thought that any one could so far have been blinded by the power of lust? But what is written must be true. They stumble at the word, being disobedient, 
whereunto also they were appointed. First Peter 2.8 His supposing that such may have the godly men's virtues, who addict themselves to their vices, is also a delusion as strong as the other. To eat up the sin of God's people, Hosea 4.8, as a dog licks up filth, is no sign that one is possessed with their virtues. Nor can I believe that one who is of this opinion can at present have faith or love in him. But I know you have made strong objections against him. Prithee, what can he say for himself? Mr. Honest. Why, he says to do this by way of opinion seems abundantly more honest than to do it, and yet hold contrary to it in opinion. Mr. Greatheart. A very wicked answer. For though to let loose the bridle to lusts, while our opinions are against such things, is bad. Yet to sin and plead a toleration so to do is worse. The one stumbles beholders accidentally, the other leads them into the snare. Mr. Honest. There are many of this man's mind that have not this man's mouth, and that makes going on pilgrimage of so little esteem as it is. Mr. Greatheart. You have said the truth, and it is to be lamented. But he that feareth the king of paradise shall come out of them all. Christiana. There are strange opinions in the world. I know one that said it was time enough to repent when we come to die. Mr. Greatheart. Such are not overwise. That man would have been loath, might he have had a week to run twenty miles in his life to defer his journey to the last hour of that week. Mr. Honest, you say right, and yet the generality of them who count themselves pilgrims do indeed do thus. I am, as you see, an old man, and have been a traveller in this road many a day, and I have taken notice of many things. I have seen some that have set out as if they would drive all the world before them, who yet have, in a few days, died as they in the wilderness, and so never got sight of the promised land. I have seen some that have promised nothing at first, setting out to be pilgrims, and who one would have thought could not have lived a day, that have yet proved very good pilgrims. I have seen some who have run hastily forward, that again have, after a little time, run just as fast back again, I have seen some who have spoken very well of a pilgrim's life at first, that after a while have spoken as much against it. I have heard some, when they first set out for paradise, say positively, there is such a place, who, when they have been almost there, have come back again and said there is none. I have heard some vaunt what they would do in case they should be opposed, that have, even at a false alarm, fled faith, the pilgrim's way and all. Now, as they were thus on their way, there came one running to meet them, and said, Gentlemen, and you of the weaker sort, if you love life, shift for yourselves, for the robbers are before you. Mr. Greatheart. Then said Mr. Greatheart, They be the three that set upon little faith heretofore. Well, said he, we are ready for them. So they went on their way. Now they looked at every turning when they should have met with the villains, but whether they heard of Mr. Greatheart, 
or whether they had some other game, they came not up to the pilgrims. Christiana then wished for an inn to refresh herself and her children, because they were weary. Then said Mr. Honest, There is one a little before us, where a very honourable disciple, one Gaius, dwells. Romans 16.23 So they all concluded to turn in thither, and the rather because the old gentleman gave him so good a report. When they came to the door they went in, not knocking, for folks used not to knock at the door of an inn. Then they called for the master of the house, and he came to them. So they asked if they might lie there that night. Gaius. Yes, gentlemen, if you be true men, for my house is for none but pilgrims. Then were Christiana, Mercy, and the boys the more glad, for that the innkeeper was a lover of pilgrims. So they called for rooms, and he showed them one for Christiana and her children and Mercy, and another for Mr. Greatheart and the old gentleman. Mr. Greatheart. Then said Mr. Greatheart, Good Gaius, what hast thou for supper? For these pilgrims have come far today, and are weary. Gaius. It is late, said Gaius, so we cannot conveniently go out to seek food. But such as we have you shall be welcome to, if that will content. Mr. Greatheart. We will be content with what thou hast in the house, for as much as I have proved thee, thou art never destitute of that which is convenient. Then he went down and spake to the cook, whose name was, Taste that which is good, to get ready supper for so many pilgrims. This done, he comes up again, saying, Come, my good friends, you are welcome to me, and I am glad that I have a house to entertain you in, and while supper is making ready, if you please, let us entertain one another with some good discourse. So they all said, Content. Gaius. Then said Gaius, Whose wife is this aged matron, and whose daughter is this young damsel? Mr. Greatheart. This woman is the wife of one Christian, a pilgrim of former times, and these are his four children. The maid is one of her acquaintance, one that she hath persuaded to come with her on pilgrimage. The boys take all after their father, and covet to tread in his steps. Yea, if they do but see any place where the old pilgrim hath lain, or any print of his foot, it ministereth joy to their hearts, and they covet to lie or tread in the same. Gaius. Then said Gaius, Is this Christian's wife, and are these Christian's children? I knew your husband's father, yea, also his father's father. Many have been good of this stock. Their ancestors dwelt first at Antioch. Acts 11.26 Christian's progenitors, I suppose you have heard your husband talk of them, were very worthy men. They have, above any that I know, showed themselves men of great virtue and courage for the Lord of the pilgrims, his ways, and them that loved him. I have heard of many of your husband's relations that have stood all trials for the sake of the truth. Stephen, that was one of the first of the family from whence your husband sprang, was knocked on the head with stones. Acts 7, 59 and 60. James, another of this generation, was slain with the edge of the sword. Acts 12, 2. 
to say nothing of Paul and Peter, men anciently of the family from whence your husband came. There was Ignatius, who was cast the lions, Romanus, whose flesh was cut by pieces from his bones, and Polycarp, that played the man in the fire. There was he that was hanged up in a basket in the sun for the wasps to eat, and he whom they put into a sack, and cast him into the sea to be drowned. It would be impossible utterly to count up all of that family who have suffered injuries and death for the love of a pilgrim's life. Nor can I but be glad to see that thy husband has left behind him four such boys as these. I hope they will bear up their father's name, and tread in their father's steps, and come to their father's end. Mr. Greatheart Indeed, sir, they are likely lads. They seem to choose heartily their father's ways. Gaius That is it that I said. Wherefore Christian's family is like still to spread abroad upon the face of the ground, and yet to be numerous upon the face of the earth. Let Christiana look out some damsels for her sons, to whom they may be betrothed, etc., that the name of their father and the house of his progenitors may never be forgotten in the world. Mr. Honest, tis pity his family should fall and be extinct. Gaius, fall it cannot, but be diminished it may. But let Christiana take my advice, and that is the way to uphold it. And, Christiana, said this innkeeper, I am glad to see thee and thy friend Mercy together here, a lovely couple. And if I may advise, take Mercy into a nearer relation to thee. If she will, let her be given to Matthew, thy eldest son. It is the way to preserve a posterity in the earth. So this match was concluded, and in process of time they were married. But more of that hereafter. Gaius also proceeded and said, I will now speak on the behalf of women to take away their reproach. For as death and the curse came into the world by a woman, Genesis 3, so also did life and health. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, Galatians 4, 4. Yea, to show how much they that came after did abhor the act of the mother, this sex in the Old Testament coveted children, if happily this or that woman might be the mother of the Saviour of the world. I will say again that when the Saviour was come, women rejoiced in him before either men or angel. Luke one forty two to 46 I read not that ever any man did give unto Christ so much as one groat, but the women followed him and minister to him of their substance. Luke 8, 2 and 3. T'was a woman that washed his feet with tears. Luke seven thirty seven to 50. And a woman that anointed his body at the burial. John eleven two, twelve three. 12, They were women who wept when he was going to the cross. Luke twenty three twenty seven, And women that followed him from the cross. Matthew twenty seven fifty five and fifty six, Luke twenty three fifty five. And sat over against his sepulchre when he was buried. Matthew twenty seven sixty one. They were women that were first with him at his resurrection morn. 
Luke 24.1, and women that brought tidings first to his disciples that he was risen from the dead. Luke 24.22 and 23. Women, therefore, are highly favoured, and show by these things that they are sharers with us in the grace of life. End. First half of part two. The sixth stage.